We turn in our Bibles again tonight to the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19, if you're visiting with us, we've been working our way through the, the story of Elijah, this, the 10th sermon in this series, working our way now, uh, just past Elijah, fleeing from Jezebel, the Lord's care and compassion to him after the victory at Mount Carmel. And now we enter into uh, another one, perhaps of the highlights of our Sunday school lessons in terms of Elijah, of that low whisper, that still small voice that is spoken to the prophet. But let's hear these words. 1 Kings 19, we begin our reading at verse 9, and we take for our text verses 9 through 18, and we pay special attention to the reading of God's word because it is how he works among us. It is his very inspired, authoritative word. There he, Elijah, came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even only I am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meloah you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as you bring us before this word once more within this narrative of familiar word, Father, we are mindful of the wonder of your presence, the power, Father, by which you have shown yourself to Elijah in any number of ways, and yet again in this text in the most important ways by way of your word. And Father, we thank you that by way of your word, you make known your purpose for us. And so we ask, Lord, that you would do that tonight, that you would remove from us any form of distraction, anything about the man who brings the word or the space and place in which that word is brought, Father, that would get in the way of our glad receiving of it. 
that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would plant it deep in us, that you would shape and fashion us by your likeness. And that, Father, by way of these ancient words, you would bring us to greater hope and trust in you and in your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Children of God called to be saints, it is good to be near to God. I love those words, some of my favorites from Psalm 73. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. It is good to be near God. And perhaps in some small way, that is a bit of at least the impetus for, if not some of the motivation for Elijah's running away from Mount Carmel, away from Jezreel, to come before the presence of the Lord. For even we, when we lift our eyes to the hills, we know our our help is not found in the idols of man. And certainly this narrative has spoken that plainly. Baal and all of the Asherah, they are all impotent. They cannot do anything. They cannot afford us anything but only death and destruction. And yet that's not where we look. We look to Zion. We look to the Lord. We look to the maker of heaven and earth. And yet, as we looked at last time, there are those moments where we may feel far from God or abandoned by God, exhausted at the effort of continuing to be faithful in the midst of unfaithfulness, where we wonder, God, what are you doing? Are you working through the struggles of your people? Are you working redemption for your church In those struggles of the church and the world, perhaps then for you, there are those places that you go to be near unto God. And we know that the Lord is is always there and there's nothing mystical or magical about any space or place in which we go because we know the Lord is always with us. That Christ, He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We know that His Spirit indwells our hearts. And yet still, even in saying that, perhaps you're already thinking of those places you go, that space in your house, maybe the walk that you take on your land, that rock that you sit on, that easy chair you sit in, and you go to be near him, to open his word, you go to pray, that place of retreat where you are refreshed in the Lord. Because not only is it good to be near God, it is essential It's where life finds meaning. It's where we find that hope and that comfort that we so desperately need. We need to be refreshed in the Lord. And so Elijah, having left that struggle in Israel, devastated, devastated and broken by the fact, God, why haven't you finished the job? Why haven't you done more? Then simply reveal yourself. Why haven't you changed the hearts of the king and the queen? He leaves, escaping that threat on his life. Again, going as far south in Israel as he could. And yet even there he is ministered to and he is refreshed by God. He rests. He eats. And then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. He is brought by God. 
not at its own sin or brokenness, but God's way and plan to Horeb, to Sinai. Kids, when we hear those two words interchangeable here in our text, to the place where the covenant between Yahweh and his chosen people was made. God says it is good for you to be near to me. And yet all of that import of the Old Testament and the giving of the law, all of that, here's that boundary and here's that space and only one may come and only the mediator, all of that is still very active and real in our text. And it's a fuller significance all the more when we remember that at that point in history, the people embraced the Lord. You speak to us and we will live. But if he speaks to us, we will die. They recognize the almighty nature and holiness of God. All that he has commanded us, we will do. But now the second Moses approaches Horeb, Sinai, and it's the total opposite. They've rejected the Lord. Israel has rejected his covenant, his word, and his prophet. And so in like manner to Moses, Elijah the second Moses must draw near, must come again to the mountain, but not for himself. And that becomes the true rub in our text this evening. The point of that very duplication where we look at it and say, why the repetition? That's why. Elijah must come to the mountain on behalf of the people. And so he comes to a cave, and he lodges in it. He is given the opportunity to dwell on God's holy mountain. There in the presence of God, a great blessing yet also necessary, because Elijah still needs to be helped. That didn't just happen by way of the food and the sleep. He needs to be made mindful again of your place, Elijah, and your role, Elijah, and your call, Elijah. He needs to be drawn near to God that he would be humbled and made to understand the work and the word and the way of the Lord. But he's also brought in grace. I'm going to reveal it to you. I'm going to share it with you. An account of what the Lord would do and how the Lord would be faithful to his chosen and to his promise. And that's the wonder of our coming here, not to this space and place, even though we call it a sanctuary, but of drawing near to the Lord. We come every week at his call, at his invitation, come into the presence of God to worship. And it is then that he convinces us of the same. I am holy and you are not. I am great and almighty and worthy of praise and service. I will be faithful to my word to you. And I will continue to call a people to myself for my glory of whom you are a part. There's a great trust as we come. That it is good to be near to God. And that's the end for which we are brought near to him. For the prophet is brought to the mountain of God that he may know more fully the power of the word of God. And that's where this text lands tonight. The prophet is brought to the mountain of God that he may know more fully the power of the word of God. 
And so we see in our text then Elijah standing in the power of Yahweh's presence in verses 9 through the first half of verse 13, and then standing in the power of Yahweh's purpose in verses 13, the rest of verse 13 through verse 18. But it's at first about standing in the power of his presence. But the fact that Elijah finds himself there is still a little bit of carryover from last time. Absolutely amazing. But not just from the standpoint of the distance. He goes 40 days and 40 nights in the strength of the food that God had provided for him. But in the fact that the Lord provides Elijah with what is exactly needed for him to draw near. This is what it takes for you to come. That he provides not only food and drink, his blessing of grace, but provides Elijah's strength and perseverance. A place prepared for him of nearness and dwelling. The Lord is showing himself right away to be abundantly kind and gracious to Elijah. Even as we spend more of our time trying to ascertain Elijah's state of mind and faithfulness to God in this moment. But regardless of where we land there, we cannot separate ourselves from an understanding of God's mercy in the moment. And that is most fully known when we are made able to see that the Lord provides that for us. Exactly what is needed for us to come. A grace and salvation for us to be presented before him. Able to see that the Lord has provided that place of dwelling and nearness in his house and his presence. The opportunity to see all the more that in his strength and kindness, he draws us near in his word. This is the Lord through all of this calling Elijah to himself. He draws us near by that same word. But it's still a fearful thing. Nothing has changed between the time of Moses and Elijah. Nothing has changed outside of the coming of Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of the promise for us as we draw near either. It's a fearful thing to be brought so close, especially in our brokenness and sin. But notice that it is not Elijah presenting himself before the Lord. But what do we read? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. That after all of that journeying and all of that stuff of which we could so easily focus our attention on Elijah, the narrative shifts our eyes back again. The word of the Lord came to him. But notice it doesn't say spoke to. Not yet. The word and the power and the presence of God draws near to that same place to be near unto him. Here again is a theophany of the Lord. A pre-incarnate appearing of Christ. And that makes this text all the more a scary thing. And a profound thing. Because in that way, here is Christ drawing near to his prophet near to all of his people. As Elijah stands there as a mediator and representative of his people, he draws near to him how? In relationship. In knowability. In speaking his language. In condescending to answer in that moment. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
and immediately, given the way that we Sunday school this, here's his chastisement, here's his judgment, that's the question. We give it that slant. What are you doing here, Elijah? But is it? Yes, we recognize that Elijah fled from Jezebel in fear, more in frustration over the plan of the Lord and what he has done. Elijah fled believing what? My work should have made a difference. That you, Yahweh, should have come in judgment and finished the job you began. But now on the mountain of God, does he get to speak thusly? As God draws near to us, do we get to flex on our work and what we think should be done for us by way of his grace and goodness? No, he must be humbled in the power of God's presence. What are you doing here, Elijah? Tell me that I might provide you a bit of context, but more a gracious and powerful correction. It's his invitation. Come near to me, Elijah, and speak it. And at that point, the dam of Elijah's heart breaks open at the Lord's invitation, letting Yahweh know all his perspective. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. I have been jealous for you, O covenant-keeping God. I have been zealous for the battle of the kingdom Yahweh Sabaot. But before the presence of God, Elijah, are you really going to speak that way? Church of God, are you really going to come to his presence and say that? That we have been as zealous for God and for the cause of his name, even as he is jealous and zealous. Same word. Can we claim that? Can Elijah claim that? Because no one, no one is as jealous and zealous for the name of the Lord and the work of the Lord and the people of the Lord as Yahweh himself. And how do we know this? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I am zealous for my name. I am zealous for my glory. Why is worshiping and serving Yahweh alone important? Exodus 34, you shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. Elijah, you are standing here because my people are not zealous for me. They are not jealous for me, but I am jealous for them. I am zealous for you. Elijah's zeal for my house, my word, and my people consumes me far more than it does you. But Elijah doesn't stop there. He goes on then to outline Israel's violations. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenants. <laughs> Yahweh, these people don't deserve relationship. They've forsaken you. It's the very truth that was spoken to Moses, told to him, 
even after being the defender of that covenant his whole life, and in his sin being kept from the land, what does God reveal to him? Deuteronomy 31, 16. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your father. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Elijah, you are a part of that people. After all of that work, after all that Moses had done, that's the outcome. Because it wasn't about Moses. And Elijah, it is not about you. Elijah, you've served me in the midst of a people you knew were unfaithful. And yet that was my call upon you. And now what have, what have you done? You fled from them. Elijah continues, they have thrown down your altars. Yahweh, they've stopped worshiping you. They've ceased to give your name the honor and praise and glory that is rightly due it. But Elijah, in this complaint, are you giving me all the glory in the midst of your confusion and bitterness and hurt? You've seen their sin firsthand. And yet, why were you there? What happened on that day at Carmel? It was more than fire. What were you used to do in the midst of my people, even you and you alone? You restored my altar. You built it back up again. I consumed that altar, even as I will consume a future sacrifice for them. They've killed your prophets with a sword. And now that fear retreats farther into the prophet. Obadiah was faithful to hiding some of them, but Jezebel killed an awful lot of them. But Elijah, I've killed their prophets too. And now you're not in their presence. My word bearer is not in the land of promise, but here in the wilderness. Elijah, you're a prophet. You don't seek to keep your own life. You are to be one willing to lose it. Which of the prophets didn't your fathers persecute? But how does Elijah close? Because now it comes to the very heart of the matter. And the struggle for the prophet, perhaps the struggle for anyone in ministry in any way. And even I, only I am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And we think of this statement and we say, what sorrow. But it's the same words that were used before the triumph of Carmel. I, even I, only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Elijah, where is your confidence? Where is your hope? Where is your trust? Why have you been shaken by an empty threat? So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. You're still here. Forty-some-odd days later, you're still here. Because her word means nothing. Mine does. Why have you become hopeless? It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah, don't you know me? 
that even in Moses' response to the people that keeps him from the land of promise, Moses, you haven't set my name apart as holy. Elijah, will you set my name apart as holy? Don't you trust me? Don't you know I've been with you from the beginning? Knit together in your mother's womb? Don't you know that I've been there from your call to the Cherith Brook, to Zarephath, to Carmel, to Beersheba, and now to my mountain? I have been with you. And I have been with you in more than just fire, fire that consumed a sacrifice. And yet the Lord draws near again to make Elijah mindful of all of this truth. And so it's another invitation, but a scary one, isn't it? Verse 11, and he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. He's called out. And here is Elijah's Moses moment, Exodus 33, 21 and 22. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. The Lord wishes to reveal himself to the prophet. And behold, the Lord passed by. Hear it again. Not just the signs, not just this stuff. The Lord himself passed by. Elijah knew in power the presence of the Almighty. And by way of that import of the story of Moses... What is that remembrance bringing to us? Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children of the third and fourth generation. That is who I am, Elijah. That hasn't changed. And if that presence wasn't enough for the prophet, now Elijah is given the the very clue, the very reminder of what he was to cling to so that he might continue knowing the power of that presence beyond just that moment. For the prophet has come in complaints, in the cry, Lord, judge your people for her covenant unfaithfulness. And the Lord passes by. He passes over. But in this theophany, the Lord brings a show of power, the very power that he brings when he judges people, when he judges nations. In similar manner to the description of Isaiah 29, 5-6, But the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff. And in an instant, suddenly you will be visited by the Lord of hosts, with thunder and with earthquake and great noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a devouring power. That is what the Lord brings. That is what His presence might work in judgment. That's what he brings in power. And yet, what do we read of his grace? 
A great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. I haven't come in judgment against my people yet. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Not yet. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Elijah, I am strong and powerful enough to work this. And in my time and in my way, I will. When I appear to bring judgment, it will be all of this and all the the more. I am strong and powerful. But how am I more strong and more powerful? I show my presence by my word. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. The word of the Lord, in the wonder of the Spirit of the Lord. The power of God's presence is in the power of his word. The power of the Lord to judge and to save is found in the word made flesh in his Son. It is about the breath of his Spirit and what it works to change hearts and lives forever. Had Elijah forgotten? Have we? We cry out, give us a sign. That's what the world cries out. Come down from the cross and then we will believe you. They want a sign. And we cry out too in our own mini Martin Luther moments. If you save me from this storm, I will dedicate my life to you. Signs. Show us the wind. Show us the earthquake. Show us the fire. You see, the power at work among Israel wasn't about the signs, but about the word of the Lord. And Elijah, you are my word bearer. The word is what works judgment or peace. What brings condemnation or grace. What opens or closes my kingdom. The word is how I manifest the power of my presence. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Have we forgotten the power of that presence too? Are you still crying out for great signs, visible manifestations, but sit discounting the power of his presence in a word in season. Or a word breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Because in all the noise of this life, in all of the busyness, in all of the sound and fury signifying nothing, the word of God still speaks. It is still breath of life. He hasn't stopped speaking. And that is how we know he continues to be present in power among us. And when Elijah heard it, verse 13, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. He is sweetly broken, he is overwhelmingly humbled. 
he has another Moses moment, Exodus 3, 6, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. He knows whose presence he's in by way of the word. Brought low by the presence of God and the power of his spirit, by way of his voice, by way of his word. And as he speaks to us a call to worship, he speaks to us a word of of law, of will. As he speaks to us a word of forgiveness, of assurance. As he speaks to us the gospel good news of his son. As he speaks to us words of greeting and benediction, the word of God still speaks. And so as those gathered before him tonight, may we be humbled in the same, praising God, yes, for all of those signs and all of those mighty works and all of those acts of salvation and all that will be poured out in judgment. But don't forget to be thankful that he dwells by us and with us and in us by his word. And when we're brought to that place, It allows us to see that which he is doing rightly. And we fully recognize whose presence we're in and why it is good to be near God. And it is then that we might truly stand in the power of his purpose. And at this point, you may be wondering then, what's the purpose of a repeat? I mean, we can read it differently as we walk through. We can give it different inflection, but... But if Elijah has been called here before the Lord in a similar way as Moses was, and if he's been humbled by it, then what purpose does this serve? The purpose is to remind us of God's purpose in bringing the prophet near to himself so that Elijah could be sent out again according to the call and purpose of Yahweh. Because again, why is Elijah standing there? Not just because he has kind of a beef and some insecurities and some trust issues. You are my prophet. You are set apart as my mediator in this time and space. You are not here for you. You come as a representative of my people. Elijah, you must remember, you stand not in yourself, in what makes sense to you, or in your consternation, confusion, and bitterness. You stand and bow before the Lord as his servant. That's your role in space. A representative of his people. And in that way, the contrast between Moses and Elijah becomes most stark. Because Moses pleads for the people. He knows their brokenness. He knows their wickedness. He knows how often they stumble. And he cries out to God on their behalf for what? For the glory of God's name. That his name would not be besmirched by those people that he had delivered. Elijah has not pled for them. Moses interceded for them while Elijah has been so caught up in wanting to see the Lord finish the job of justice and power that he has forgotten the Lord's word of mercy and compassion and grace. And so Elijah stands, yes, as one needing to understand the power of God's presence, but now needs to be restored to stand in the power of God's purpose. 
And for that to take place, he must give himself to hearing the word and plan of the Lord. And behold, there came a voice to him. Now the Lord speaks to him and says what? What are you doing here, Elijah? Now the Lord speaks his word into the hearing and heart of the prophet. What's your purpose? Why are you here? What's your chief end? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even only I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. It isn't the same word. Because he is simply laying out for the Lord, this has been the life of your prophet. This is what's happening. And this is why they need you. He comes pleading to the Lord now. You see, Elijah wasn't speaking falsely or incorrectly the first time he makes the statement. He had read things rightly, at least according to a certain perspective. But in speaking this way the first time, he wasn't ready to be used of God to bring about what had been ordained in his word. He was too busy complaining, as it were, rather than submitting But by way of God's spoken word, now at work in the prophet, in laying out the circumstances of his life and the life of his people, now is a cry for Yahweh's help in the power of his word. This is how things are, God. And I stand before you that you would make plain your work, your word, your power, and your plan. And if you consider those times in your life, where you have finally been sweetly broken and you remember what you've been called for and that your life is to be used of God to glorify Him and to enjoy Him, to be lived out in the life and death comfort that is yours, when you look away from yourself and look to Him finally, that's when you're ready to be used of God in His service. That that's the place of submission and trust and anticipation that God is going to act and will do so in his time and in his way. He will bring about his will and all his purposes will ripen fast. And it is into that moment then that the Lord might share his purpose with Elijah and his purpose is to what? I will make my word known in judgment but also in grace. Verse 15, and the Lord said to him, go. You've come away for a while, go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. You're the word bearer, get back up there. Be faithful to your walk and to your call. And when you arrive, he needs to anoint three people. You shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. But Elijah will not have opportunity to do so, but Elisha will. He will anoint the one written of in 2 Kings 8 who will take the throne by way of murdering his father, that a wicked king could be established. The word of the Lord. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. Elisha would accomplish this too, anointing one of this description in 2 Kings 10. And the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in carrying out what was right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. 
but Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. Another king given by way of the word of the Lord for the judgment of his people. And yet there was grace. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Elijah, I'm going to bring destruction and judgment. I will in my time and purpose finish what I started at Carmel. But even as Moses doesn't get to see it, now Elijah will not either. Not in your days, not in Elisha's days, but my purpose will be upheld. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. There will be no escape. The Lord is faithful to his word. The anointing of Hazael was to the judgment of Israel, 2 Kings 13. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them continually into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael. The anointing of Jehu to the judgment of Ahab and Jezebel. But the anointing of Elisha, one of a double portion of the Spirit, breathed out before Elijah, now placed upon Elisha, will be breathed out for what purpose? Salvation. Here is God promising by his word the gospel. The Lord, according to his purpose, would save his people from their sins. What the Lord proudly declares in this moment is that all of these things would serve one, his singular purpose. Namely, that he would be known as the God who delivers, the God who saves once again. Because I'm going to provide grace to those I have chosen to give grace. Elijah, you have just been calling out for judgment. But I wish to give mercy. I am going to provide grace to those I have chosen to give grace. Elijah, do not forget my purpose even when it seems as though I am delaying judgment. Church, don't forget that the Lord is tearing his judgment even now so that a righteous remnant would be gathered according to his word. For verse 18 stands true, yet I will leave 7,000 in all Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah, you're not alone. I am with you. Elijah, you are not alone. There is a faithful remnant. Church, you are not alone. The Lord God is with you and for you. He is in your midst. Church, you are not alone. He is gathering a remnant from every tongue and tribe and nation for himself and for his glory according to his sure purpose. And in these days that we wait upon it, we know that we are kept and guarded by way of his word, by way of his presence, by way of his purpose. 
And even when it seems dark and the struggle to be church is very real, has Yahweh rejected his church, his remnant, his bride? Paul asks the question in Romans 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. I have kept, even in the midst of all of that brokenness, 7,000 near unto me. And that is where you are to be, Elijah, according to my purpose. In fact, it's what I have gloriously prepared for you. And yet, congregation, that's what he prepares for us. By way of his purpose. He keeps us near to himself by way of his powerful presence, according to his powerful purpose. Doing so by his word and spirit. Doing so by way of his anointing. Doing so in his timing and in his plan. So trust it. Trust it. Trust in the word that he has spoken. Trust in the Word made flesh who has kept all of it. Trust it and believe it and then call out to Him in Christ, Lord, speak and continue to speak that Word by your spirits, knowing He will come again in judgment, but that He draws near to His own according to the sure promise of His Word in grace. Because it is good to be near to God. And so in the same way, may we be humbled and encouraged in the power of the most powerful and continuing word of Yahweh. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, we are so quick to set it aside for our own wisdom or what we want to see or how we think fulfillment ought to be. And yet, Father, when we simply wait upon you and your will, when we cling to sure promises in Christ, when we look at us, all we see is glory. We see what you are working. We see what you're doing. We see your spirit working. So Lord, help our unbelief and increase our faith. And Lord, speak that word into us tonight that you are present. That you haven't stopped being present. You haven't stopped being in our midst. You haven't stopped working. You haven't stopped caring. So Father, help us to trust that. To trust the revealed purpose of your word. That there is this life and there is sorrow, but at the end there will be judgment. And for that righteous remnant, so many more than 7,000, you will gather us to yourself to go further out and further into a better promised land, even out into the new heavens and new earth, where we will rejoice in, with all the saints in the wonder of your redeeming love. And so, Father, we ask, help us to run to you. 
Help us to draw near to you. In the moments where we are confused or tempted to doubt or discouragement, give us the strength to run to you. Condescend to meet us. And by way of your word, restore us to our calling. Restore us in relationship to you. And lead us in those ways everlasting. Father, hear our prayer. And Lord, as we live that out, help us to speak it to our children, the truth of your word. Father, we thank you that we can partner with Christian schools. That, Lord, we can send our children to, to assist us in the nurture of our children. That they can see how all of your word is applied to every square inch of this creation. And so, Lord, we pray that as we give to the Christian Ed Fund tonight, Lord, might you continue to be a blessing not only to the families of this church, but to each of these children and to the lives that you are building up for them in you. Lord, hear our prayer. Continue to speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.